My name is Tad Skinner. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a blessing to be here. Thank you to Austin, by the way, for leading us in worship. So we are at the end of our sermon series on Behold Our God. We've been looking at the attributes of God over the past several weeks in this summer, and we come to our final one today, and I thought I'd begin with a story. Everybody likes stories. So have you heard the one about the preschool kid at church? Let's, let's call him Jimmy. And so the teacher at preschool had just finished this story on, on how God is omnipresent. And so little Jimmy's sitting in the room, and he's looking around, and he says, So, teacher, is, is God in this toy car over here? And the teacher says, Well, yes, Jimmy, he's in that toy car. And so he's looking around, and he says, Well, what about in these blocks? Is Jesus in these blocks? And he says, Well, well yes, he's in those blocks. And so he's, he's thinking, he's looking around, and he says, Well, what about this Play-Doh container? Is, is God in this can of Play-Doh. And the teacher says, well, yes, Jimmy, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, he's in that Play-Doh container. And so he slams the lid on the container and says, got him. (laughs) Right? So I think that's funny. Um, But I'm afraid that as we come to the end of this sermon series on Behold Our God, that that's what our tendency is going to be, that we're going to think that we've got God, that we've encapsulated him, We've, we've figured him out, but God is much, much bigger than, than anything that we could put our mind around and understand. So God has made us to be curious. He's made us to want to understand things. He's made us to figure things out. And we can't put God in a box. We can't say that we've got him. So we've covered several attributes of God in this, in this series. Let me just very briefly go over these just to refresh your memory. We've seen that God is knowable. He wants to be known, and he's allowed us to know him truly. But he's so, fit, so big, so far beyond us, that we can't truly, completely, fully know him. God is triune. He's God the Father. He's God the Son. He's God the Spirit. He is three persons, and yet he's one God. That's, that's baffling, yet it's truth. God is great. He is majestic. He's glorious. He's capable of things that we could never dream of. God is holy. He's undefiled by sin. He's love. He is and displays a type of love that's beyond any type of love that we're capable of on our own. He's jealous. He alone is worthy, and he won't tolerate someone or something else taking his rightful place as Lord of your life. God is sovereign. We like to think that we're fully in control, but God really is. And finally, last week, we heard that God is mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, isn't God amazing, as we've seen over these past several weeks? He's so good to us to make himself known. And the more we know God for who he is, the more we want to know him. But we can hardly say God him, even after we spend an eternity of knowing him and spending time with him. There's just no way that we can completely know him. So... I can't resist throwing out one more attribute of God. I'm not going to preach on this today, and this won't take very long, but one more that's free for you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? I, I hear all the time in my job as a counselor from people who wish that their spouse would change. 
right? I don't hear that from my wife. She never says that to me, but uh, that would probably actually be a good thing in some cases for us to change. It is a good thing. We want to change, but I'm glad that God doesn't change. The book of Hebrews says that God is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. For if he could change and he changed for the worse, then there'd be no foundation for our faith. And what a horrible thought that God could change for the worse. But equally horrible would be to think that God could change for the better. Because if he could change for the better, then he wouldn't have been the best that he could possibly be when he created everything. And how could I trust that he's the best he could possibly be right now? Jesus said in Matthew 5:48, we serve a perfect God. He's not changing. He's not evolving. He's not progressing. He's not developing. He's not becoming something different than what he already is. So we can trust that who he's revealed himself to be in Scripture is who he was, who he is, and who he always will be. Every single one of these attributes we've talked about is never more or less true than it is today. That is who he is. So that brings us to the last attribute of God in this series, and it's, it's not a popular one. It's not one we want to talk about very often. What would happen if you ate at a buffet all the time and you only ate dessert? It sounds good, doesn't it? Yes. I think I would like that, but what would happen? That wouldn't be a good thing, ultimately. Uh, what about if you worked out only the upper body? Now, we've seen some guys like this, right? right? You know who I'm talking about. He looks like the Hulk, but then he has ankles like mine. And, and you could just flick him and he would topple over. You know, you've, you've seen people like that. And we can't go to the Bible in the same way. But that's often what we do. We treat the Bible as a smorgasbord. We want to put a little bit of love on our plate. We want to put a little bit of mercy on our plate. Like we talked about last week, we want to put a, a whole lot of grace on our plate. But then we pass by God as just. Or we pass by God as holy or as sovereign. And so what happens when we do that is that we adopt for ourselves a view of God of our own making, and that's idolatry. We get the idea of God as just from the same source that we get the idea of God as love, right? So we, we can't just pass over those difficult attributes of God. So we're going to look today at something that is maybe not dessert, and we're going to not just work out one part of our body, but the entire. So we're going to look at one of the most difficult attributes, I think, and that is of his justice. God is just. He is a just God. And I want us to see three things as we look at God's justice today. First, I want us to see that and recognize that we all long for justice. All of us long for justice. Second, I want us to see that God truly is just. And the third, I want us to see maybe the most difficult thing of all is that his, his justice is actually good news for us. It is good that we have a just God. So first, we long for justice. And let me give you just a, a few examples of this, how this is true. When you watch movies, how do you feel when the bad guy wins? Doesn't feel good, right? Doesn't, doesn't, not the way it's supposed to be. You want to jump through the screen and you want to set things right. When you see the bad guy win, you want justice and movie makers know that. So what do they do? They have these 
implausible storylines where the good guy inexplicably comes back against all odds to defeat evil, to save the day, to get the girl, of course, and, and to win. So I have a reputation in my house as being hard to please with movies. I don't give a thumbs up very often. I think that one of the reasons why that is is that I don't like movies that are not like real life. I don't like movies that don't portray things the way they actually are. And in real life, the bad guy wins sometimes, oftentimes even. And that should bother us. That should offend us when the bad guy wins, when justice isn't served. Another couple of examples of this is I have, I have no idea whether the guy was innocent or guilty, but uh, we just had the 20-year anniversary of the O.J. Simpson murder trial, right? Uh, when that happened, a lot of people thought that was unjust. They cried out for justice. Or what about uh, 9-11, when 9-11 happened? What did people wanted a lot of things when 9-11 happened? But one of the things that they did, they cried out for justice. Innocent people shouldn't die. We get offended. It bothers us when bad things happen that we think shouldn't happen. Think about your past week. If you think about it enough, I'm sure you'll come up with several examples of where justice wasn't served. That guy who runs the red light shouldn't get away with it. That person that cut in line at you at the grocery store should be moved to the back of the line, right? That guy who keeps kicking your seat in the movie theater, you know who I'm talking about? If that ever happened to you, the guy that kicks your seat over, that guy should be given a wedgie, right? (laughs) And they should be thrown out of the movie theater and never allowed to set foot in the movie theater again. Yes? Yes? Your coworker who doesn't work very hard, who's unethical, shouldn't get a promotion. They shouldn't get a bonus. Your daughter. Your daughter shouldn't be raped. Your husband shouldn't have had an affair and left the kids and you high and dry. You should be able to go into your place of work and leave at the end of the the day with your life. And we could go on and on and on. We expect and we demand justice. And we get angry when we see injustice. So, folks, we image God when we cry out for justice. And we see that in several places in Scripture. We're going to look at mainly one passage this morning. So if you'd open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some at the very back in the bookstall on the left. We'd love for you to grab one right now if you don't have one so you can follow along with us. Uh, And please take it home with you. We'd love for you to be reading God's Word throughout the week, and we'd love to hear about that. So tell us what you're reading. We'd love to talk with you about that. So turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in chapter 73. And let me me pray before we open God's Word. So let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for Your Word. We love Your Word. We love that You have left it for us. I pray that these would not just be empty words on a page, but that they would be seen as, as life to us. I pray that they would jump off the page to us and that we would be able to apply this scripture, this passage to our lives, both today and in the coming weeks. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read Psalm 73. We're going to read the whole psalm, but we're going to take it in sections. So let me just read the first ten verses. Psalm chapter 73. 
truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. So can you relate to the psalmist? This, this is poetry, so I have to always read poetry two or three times before I understand it. So maybe, at least for my benefit, let me try to interpret this so we're all on the same page. The psalmist is saying that he, he lives a good moral life. He's saying he's a good person. And yet he sees the immoral people and he compares the outcome of their life to his. And what does he find? It's not right. It's not just. It's not fair. He sees that the immoral are prospering despite their wickedness. He sees that they have good health, that their lives are trouble-free. They wear their pride for all to see, and they're not shy about the way that they, the cruel way that they treat other people. So he sees these immoral people, and they have all that they want. And that is frustrating to him. They see people as objects to be used. So can you relate to how the psalmist feels? When you read about someone, maybe some celebrity perhaps, who lives an immoral life and yet they are seemingly rewarded for it, how do you feel? Maybe after observing the wicked prosper, you said the exact same words that are found in verse 10 and following. So let's read the next few verses. Therefore... The psalmist said, his people turn back to them and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So he's saying, what does God know? Maybe God's not paying attention when people sin and get away with it, when the immoral are living those kinds of lives and they get rewarded for it. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered whether God's really paying attention when bad people get away with stuff? I have. I've felt that way. So what's the psalmist doing here? What am I doing when I think that way? Well, instead of worshiping and trusting a just God, I'm worshiping and trusting in justice, the attribute of justice. I'm making that out to be a God rather than worshiping God. So how do you know when you're placing justice on the throne instead of God on the throne? Well, you know when justice becomes bigger to you than loving people. It becomes bigger to you than, than wanting to have God as your Lord. It becomes bigger to you than knowing your own sin. And where does placing justice on the throne lead us? Well, 
very briefly, let's take a look at where it leads us when we put justice on the throne instead of putting God on the throne. And see, as I go through these, I want you to see if you can identify not your neighbor, not your spouse, not the person sitting next to you, but see if you can identify yourself in any of these. So first, it leads to envy. When we're suffering, it's so easy to focus on those people who aren't. When we're disappointed, our attention so easily captured by the lives of people who, who seem to be living the high life. Envy doubts God's love and questions his sovereignty. Envy makes it impossible to worship God and makes it impossible to love your neighbor. Secondly, it leads to bitterness. Verse 13, the psalmist basically says, why am I living a moral life? What's the point? Why am I doing this? And so our longing for justice creates bitterness. I know you've never done any of these things that I'm going to list, but bitterness results from seeing your friends' kids behave better, perform better, healthier, they live healthier lives than your kids. Bitterness results from having a boss who doesn't recognize your hard work and yet lavishes praise and bonuses on your coworker who's a suck-up. Bitterness results from focusing on how well another person's spouse treats their wife or their kids. And so we get bitter. You say to yourself, I'm more moral than my friends. I'm more moral than my coworker. I'm more moral than that person over there. It's not fair. Why is this happening? So we get bitter. Third, it leads us to doubt. It leads to a lessening of our willingness to rely on God, to trust his sovereignty, to trust in his plan for your life to rest in him. This is when we say, how can God know? God, do you even know what's happening? Are you even there? And so we begin to doubt him. We pull away from God. We doubt his goodness. We doubt his love for us. Fourth, we can deny aspects of our faith. If you see others succeed, even though they're living immorally, then why shouldn't you? So you begin to fudge a little bit on your taxes. Or you begin to pull away from your gospel community at church. You begin to focus more on yourself than you do on, on God or on other people. You deny aspects of your faith in order to get ahead. And then finally, we can try to strike bargains with God. No one in here has ever done that, I'm sure. You say to God, if you'll make this thing right... If you'll make this thing in my life perfect again, then I will do this for you. I'll act in this way for you. But justice is still on the throne and not God. Part of what I'm getting at is that we all long for justice as long as it doesn't apply to us. The fact is that we're sinners. We're all sinners. As a sinner, I don't deserve anything. When I'm relying on myself, when I'm speaking out of my own heart and desires, when I'm more concerned with horizontal relationships, comparing myself to others, what they have or don't have, what, what I wish I had, than I am with the vertical relationship with God, then I'm proving myself to be a sinner. So let me give you what is hopefully a good example of this. There was a 10-year-old boy. We already had Jimmy, so we're going to call this one Joey. So Joey... Uh, it's after Christmas, and he notices in his neighborhood that all the kids have new bikes. And uh, he doesn't like it because these kids are they're punks. They're jerks. They're bullies. 
Uh, he doesn't like them. He doesn't get along with them. And he, he doesn't have a new bike. He wants a new bike. So he goes to his mom and he says, Mom, I want a new bike. And he explains why and all these things. And his mom being wise, I guess, she says, why don't you write a letter to Jesus about this? So Joey thinks that's just a horrible idea. But he does it anyway. So he writes, he goes upstairs to his room, pulls out a sheet of paper, and starts writing. He says, Dear Jesus, I've been a really, really good kid. And I deserve... And then he stops, and he scratches that out, and he starts over. Dear Jesus, I've done my best to be as good a kid as I can be. And then he stops, and he scratches that out. He starts over. Dear Jesus, most, most of the time, I try to be nice. And then he sets his pen down, wads up the paper, throws it in the trash can, and sits there and thinks, dejected. Finally, he has an idea. He runs out of his room, downstairs, out the door, uh, down a couple of blocks to the local Catholic church, runs in the, ch- in the Catholic church, sits down in one of the pews, and he's there for what he feels like is hours. It's really just a few minutes. People are coming and going. They're praying. And finally, he finds a time when no one else is in the room. And so he runs up to the altar, grabs something, races out of the church, goes back into his house, goes upstairs to his room, sits down at his desk with a new sheet of paper. And he starts off. Dear Jesus, I've got your mother. And if you want her back... So... Isn't that, isn't that just like us? Don't we do the same kind of thing? We all think that we're just. And we want justice applied to us according to our definition of justice. But when we're suffering, and like Joey, we all suffer in our own way, we need to guard against bitterness, envy, doubt, denial, and bargaining. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, and we need to trust in a just God. But is God really just? Is God really a just God? Let's keep reading Psalm 73 and verse 15. And the psalmist continues. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So again, what's happening here? The psalmist, when he seeks after God, and when he goes into God's sanctuary, what does he see? He understands that God is just. When he seeks after God, he understands who God really is. He understands the destiny of the unjust. And as I read this section of Scripture, I know that there are some in the room who are thinking, this is not true. This is not true of my situation. You're seeing that the person who hurts you, the one who wronged you, isn't sliding over the cliff to destruction. They're not suffering. They're not getting justice right now. 
I think we've all felt that way sometimes. God's justice isn't as quick as we want it to be. And maybe you're going through that right now. But I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm going I'm to share this anyway. Something that's been helpful to me to remember when I'm in that situation, when I don't see justice, God's justice, happening as quickly as I want, is to remember that that person that hurt me, their sins were paid for at the cross. They were placed right alongside my sins upon Jesus. I'm just as guilty as they are. And so their sins were placed right alongside mine on Jesus, and they were paid for at the cross. Or those sins will be paid for by an eternity separated from the love of God. We serve a just God, and he does know what is happening. He not only knows, he takes action on injustice, and we can trust that injustice won't stand unnoticed or unpunished. I have this long section, which I'm not going to go over, of Scripture. Just, I think it will be on the website later if you want to look up the Scripture. Just do it yourself. Look up just in your concordance. You'll see in just about every book of the Bible, God is portrayed as just. And there are examples of His justice. Over and over and over we see that in Scripture. But what is justice? Well, justice is rightfulness. Justice is lawfulness. It's the administering of punishments and rewards. Who determines rightfulness? Who determines lawfulness? Who determines what's wrong and what's right? Who determines what should be punished and what should be rewarded? Well, in any society with rules and laws, it's the ruler. It's the parents in the home, hopefully. It's the king in the kingdom. It's the elected officials. It's the president. So who's our ruler? Well, it's God. God is our ruler. He's our creator. He's our father. He's our king. He's our Lord. I'm not the king. You're not the king of the kingdom. Jesus is the king of the kingdom, right? He's always been the king of the kingdom. He's presently the king of the kingdom. And he's always going to be the king of the kingdom. So is anyone else tired of all of the campaigning going on right now? I have yet to receive a phone call from someone running for office of king of heaven and earth. Right? There's, there's no one running for office for king of everything. No one's getting nominated for that position. So whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we're all a part of God's creation. God rules. He has dominion over us. We're not the king. Psalm 82 begins and ends in this way. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And then Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy, mighty king, lover of justice. You have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. God is the ruler, and he sets the rules. By the very definition, that God is just. He does what is right all of the time. And we may not agree with him, but he is God. 
There are times when we think that we're the better sovereign than the sovereign. Times when we think that we're the better savior than the savior. Times when we don't understand what in the world God is doing. So do you ever get angry at God because you don't get what you want? Anybody ever done that? I have. Maybe I'm the only one. So you choose to pull away from God. You choose to act as though He's no longer the Lord of your life. You don't want Him to be the Lord of your life. He's not giving you what you want. Maybe you're a Christian on Sunday mornings only, and the rest of the week you're something else. That's all too common for Christians today. But we need to repent of that nonsense. God is a sovereign, good, and perfect God. We may think that God's not fair. We may stomp our feet and get mad at Him because we're not getting our way. But fair is for kids on the playground. Fair is for my kids as they're arguing over who gets to play with the laptop. Perfect is better than fair. Perfect trumps fair. Perfect doesn't need to be interrogated by fair. And we all live under that perfect God's authority. So we need to repent of the nonsense of claiming that God is not fair. He is just. He does what is right. Justice is not something that God has. It is something that He is. He's the one who determines right and wrong. He's the one who determines who should be punished and who should be rewarded. So now we come to the final point, which is, is God's justice really good news? Is it good news that God is just? Well, of course it is. And we're going to find that God's justice is good news to the sinner in need of a Savior, and God's justice is good news to those who have put their trust and their faith in God. So let's continue reading in Psalm chapter 73, verse 21. The psalmist says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant, ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So he's basically saying, I realize the error of my ways, and I'm broken by the way that I have my attitude towards you. Nevertheless, verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he responds to the error of his ways of questioning God and his attitude towards God. And he submits himself to his Lord. He treats God as Lord. He recognizes and remembers that God is the Lord of his life. So think for a moment about a world with absolutely no justice. With no justice whatsoever. It's, it's really a horrible thought, if you think about it. In a world without justice, our actions have no meaning. We have no meaning. Not only that, but those who have the most money, those who have the most power, those who have the most muscle, they're the ones that make the rules. The weak and the poor are left unprotected. And in a world with no justice, people are irrelevant. What difference does it make if you hurt somebody? Because people don't matter. There's no hope as evil reigns completely. The fact that God is just changes all of that. His justice is good news to the victim. 
We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where bad things happen to the righteous, to God's chosen people. But even in this fallen world, there is evidence of justice. Evil doesn't always win. The poor and the weak are often defended. They're often cared for. People matter, and our actions have real meaning. And that's all because of God's justice. Now think for a moment about a different world. This is a world with my version of justice. That's actually not a very good thought either. In a world of my justice, there'd be no Good Friday. I would never, ever have authored that to have Good Friday. That's horribly unfair in my version of justice that an innocent man should die for something he's never done, for wrongdoing, for my sin. I would never have allowed that. That's not just. That's not right. That's not fair. So praise God that His justice allows for the cross as well. The cross reveals the evilness of evil. It reveals the goodness and the love of God. It reveals God's sovereignty, but it also reveals God's justice. The cross reveals God's justice. He is just, and He does what is right. So His justice is already here in some forms. His justice will come fully someday at the final judgment. We read that in in, uh, verse 27 of this psalm. The psalmist says, Those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. I think that we have a tendency, the world has a tendency to think of judgment, and we think, it's about time. I'm ready for the judgment. Give me what I deserve. I've had a hard life. I've had a rough life. Give it to me now because I deserve something after all the junk that I've been put through. But, folks, it's not like that. You really don't want justice. The worst disaster that you can face is actually the judgment of a holy God. Because it's not that we should be afraid of being brought before a corrupt, unjust judge who judges judges us beyond what we deserve. The fear really ought to be in being judged by a just judge, a perfect judge, who is going to judge us based on what we've earned and what we merit. So judgment is coming. And for the Christian, it will be welcomed. The coming judgment is welcomed. For others, it will be doom. And so I'm wondering today, in what camp do you fall? The good news, though, is that we don't have to approach the final judgment with our fingers crossed. We don't have to be hoping that we're going to be saved. We can be certain of our salvation. Romans 5.9 reads, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. And who is this Him? It's Jesus. We all need to fall on Jesus because we're sinners. God is a just God, and He doesn't sweep our offensive sin under some cosmic rug. He doesn't just wink at our sin. He can't pass it over and act like nothing happened. And there's nothing that we can do about our sin on our own. So enter who? The God-man, Jesus. He paid a, a debt that he didn't owe, and I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. And Jesus, as God, made an infinite sacrifice. In his deity, 
he's able to make a sacrifice that's worthy to pay for the offense of my sin. That in his humanity, he's able to relate to me, the offending party. So Jesus is the substitute for our sin, and that is for our salvation. And that is why God's justice is good news for the sinner in need of salvation. So if you're here today and you don't realize that in your life, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please talk to us after the service. We'd love to talk with you further about that. And then finally, God's justice is good news for the saved as well, for those in the room who've already accepted Jesus, who are already a part of God's family. Not only are we a part of God's family and will benefit for eternity because of God's justice and his love, but we can also experience the good news of God's justice today. This psalm ends with verse 28, and the psalmist says, But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. What an amazing gift to make God our shelter, to make God our refuge. That means that not only are we sheltered in Christ for all of eternity, but we're sheltered in Christ in the here and now. It's a big, ugly world sometimes. Sometimes bad things do happen. Our fears do come true. Sometimes you're passed over for the promotion and someone that you feel was less worthy gets it. Sometimes you share Christ with a friend and that relationship turns cold and distant and you lose that relationship. Sometimes a child dies. Sometimes you get cancer. Bad things happen. So what do we do? Do we get angry at God when that happens? Do we turn cold and distant from God when that happens? No. We're supposed to make God our shelter, our refuge. We do as the psalmist did. We acknowledge God as Lord. We do as Jesus did in 1 Peter chapter 2. It reads, When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, is God's justice good news for the saved? Yes, because when we're suffering and struggling, we can entrust ourselves to a God who judges justly. We can make God our shelter. So, in closing, believer here today, are you just playing at church? Are you going through the motions spiritually? Are you trying to live your life with Jesus as your Savior but not as your Lord? When you're attacked, when you're reviled, do you attack in return? When you're suffering, do you threaten? Do you turn cold and distant towards God? Do you get angry at Him and stomp away from Him? If any of those words ring true on a continual, ongoing basis then I would suggest that you examine yourselves. Make certain your salvation. Turn to God. Make Him your shelter. And entrust yourself to Him who judges justly. Let me pray. Father, we acknowledge You as our Lord. We live in a world that sometimes seems unjust. Things don't go the way that we would want them to. But we need to stop and acknowledge that without your justice, this world would be a horrible place. Without your justice, 
you never would have sent your son to die for us. Father, we, we thank you for that substitution of our sins for your righteousness. We thank you that, that you care about us, that you love us enough to do that. And I pray that our response might be joy. Our, our response might be obedience to you, love for you in what you've done for us. So, Father, we pray that we would commit ourselves to you and that we would continue to make you the Lord of our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We would encourage you, uh, before you leave, if this conjured up some things you'd like to discuss, to reach out to somebody sitting around you and share together and pray together. There'll be some people here at the front as well if you'd like to visit. It's been great to worship with you today. Thank you for being here. Uh, As you go, I'd like to send you with these words. This is from essentially the end of uh, the book of Luke. Precisely because uh, God is a God of justice, we, brothers and sisters, have a great mission. We have the gospel to go and share. And as you go, may you go with these words. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. We go with the power of the Spirit to share the message that God's justice is met in Christ. May we do so with joy this week. You're dismissed.